Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm John. And you're listening to the DCIF podcast, Changing World, New Opportunities, an investment podcast designed for members of the DC community. We'll be chatting with asset managers who are all passionate about DC and getting investment right for the members. Investments in DC have changed a lot, so we'll be helping you, the listener, to stay up to date with the latest, from real estate to alternatives, the challenges of trusteeship through to addressing climate change. This first series will focus on the changing world we find ourselves in and the exciting investment opportunities for DC plans. Keep up to date with our work at dcif.co.uk, where you can sign up to receive our research and get invitations to our launches. You can also follow us on Twitter at DCIF underscore UK and on LinkedIn, where we are the Defined Contribution Investment Forum. Fantastic. Let's get on with the show. Hi, John. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good. Yes, I am well. We are bringing this podcast to you this week from a, a slightly chaotic environment. There are builders surrounding my house. I really hope that they haven't made it onto this podcast as like a special guest appearance, but they've basically made it into every other area of my working life. So (laughs) if you hear the odd bang, that will be Matt with his hammer. So I'm sorry about that, everyone, but hopefully you won't catch any of it. It's been a really good episode this week, hasn't it, John? Yeah, it's been brilliant. I suppose a slight departure from what we've done with other podcasts in the series where we've been looking at asset classes and views and interesting areas, etc., this yeah. actually takes a slightly further step back. I think it's about you know, DC provision a bit more generally and how that differs across different market pages. It was a yeah. fascinating session. Yeah, it was. I mean, we are a research forum and we haven't spoken to anyone until now about a research report, as I said to Jerry when we started speaking. So we chatted in this episode to Jerry Savage. So Jerry is retirement lead strategist at MFS Investment Management, who are a DCIF member. And Jerry leads DC thought leadership for MFS. And particularly today was chatting to us about their retirement survey 2022. And we talk a little bit about the survey at the start of the podcast, but yeah, basically it's a comparative set of research across four big DC markets globally. And this episode, yeah, we talk a lot about retirement outcomes and comparing and contrasting trends and themes across different retirement markets, which was really, really fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah, and who knows, you might come back for yeah. series three of our podcast where you talk yeah. about the survey result. Yeah, I think so. So before we hand over to Jerry. Just wanted to remind you all that the 28th of March is the DCIF's annual event, where we will be launching new research on TCFD reporting with Nico Aspinall. So I hope you guys can all come along to that, anyone listening. So you can register at our website, which is the DCIF, www.dcif.co.uk, and then you would click on events, sign up for that event. So yeah, hopefully see lots of you there and i'd love to know what you will think about the podcast enjoy. So, yeah enjoy the episode so jerry thanks so much for joining us on the podcast this afternoon it's really great to have you thank you it's so great to be here so jerry you are going to talk to us excitingly about the mfs global retirement survey for 2022 obviously the dcif is a research forum so it's really nice to have someone on the podcast to talk about research it's really good to have you. Tell me a little bit about the survey, perhaps, in terms of like how long have you been running it? What's it about? What are the main kind of things that you cover? 
Sure, sure. So the Global Retirement Survey surveys roughly 1,000 active DC plan participants from four different countries. So we are surveying participants from Canada, Australia, the UK, and the US. So for a total of about 4,000 survey respondents. This is our third consecutive year fielding a global retirement survey. We've done surveys in the past, but this is the third year asking similar questions. And we're hoping to build a database from that so we can ultimately draw out year-over-year comparisons and identify persistent trends. I would say, first of all, to participate in the survey, respondents have to be at least 18 years old. They have to be employed at least part-time and active workplace retirement plan members. And then we weight the data to mirror the age and gender distribution of the workforce in each country. In terms of the types of questions that we've asked, the surveys ranged from the impact of COVID-19 on participants, expectations for retirement, their views on target date funds, their participant preferences for receiving retirement-related advice, as well as views on things like retirement income and ESG. Okay, perfect. This sounds like a really great survey. So is there anything in the most recent survey that stood out to you, perhaps surprised you, seemed a bit unexpected? Absolutely. We have so much data from this survey, but I would say one of the biggest surprises came down to the responses about the views of the pandemic on retirement. So we asked participants how they feel the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted their retirement outlook by agreeing or disagreeing with four statements. And then we cut that data into two age cohorts, those under age 45 and those over age 45. And we picked that age because we think of that as when the concept of retirement really starts to get real. You know, around this age, you may be approaching your peak earnings potential. Retirement's no longer this far off concept. And your financial picture as a whole is becoming increasingly complex and therefore requires more attention. So I would say what's most striking about our survey results is that participants under the age of 45 appear to feel the potentially negative impacts of the pandemic on their retirement prospects more so, more acutely than those over age 45. So to us, this is pretty counterintuitive as those over 45 have less time to correct for the potential impact of COVID on their savings, yet they appear less concerned than those with time on their side. So this unexpected dynamic is interestingly apparent in all four questions that we asked about it in detail, and it was also consistent across all four countries. So compared to our 2021 results, we saw that the level of concern has generally increased. But again, it's that younger cohort seems far more concerned about the impact of COVID on their retirement savings. Just taking a step back, I think you mentioned the four markets that you look at and it's about 1,000 respondents or it is exactly 1,000 respondents in each. Why did you choose those four particular markets in the first instance? And are there any ones that you think in time you'd actually like to include in your research going forward? Yeah, the reason for choosing the four markets is pretty simple. MFS has business in all four marketplaces and we're interested in DC 
participants, members, schemes where they exist meaningfully in different global markets. So obviously we have a large presence in the U.S. and that's the backdrop for the survey and, and most of our data. But we also have a large presence in Canada and in terms of similar marketplaces, although obviously there are nuances and differences across these four markets, we feel that we can gather enough insights and be able to compare and contrast by using the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Australia. And in terms of the differences in D.C. return provision across those four markets, can you give us a quick summary of the similarities and differences? Useful just to get a bit of background. Sure. I hesitate to be the expert providing the similarities and differences. I guess what I would say is we're cognizant that all four markets have different regulatory requirements. So I will shy away from that and say instead that what makes them similar is the way that participants or members are saving for their own retirement in a DC scheme or landscape. So, you know, what we're most concerned about is getting at those behaviors around what makes a member save for their retirement and do they do it adequately? What can we learn from, you know, what they do or don't do? And I do think it from a survey perspective sets us apart that we are able to compare and contrast across these four different markets. I know we'll get to some of those direct comparisons from the survey results themselves, but it, it is eye-opening to see, despite, I would say, the different regulatory environments in the four countries, what we can take away from participant behavior in all four. So I might not have answered your question directly, but that's why we survey all four. Terry, I'm really interested in the first point that you made around those counterintuitive results about how worried people were about COVID and, and how it might affect their retirement. I mean, that's so interesting because obviously, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you in the US, but here in the UK, there's quite a lot of worry in the industry about people who are retiring soon. Of course, you know, people have really seen their retirement savings take a hit. Did you kind of delve any more into th those kind of trends just in terms of like why do you think people who are younger are, are so much more worried than people who are older because like you say it does seem really counterintuitive like did people give you any hint as to why that might be the case so unfortunately the questions are posed in such a way that we don't have the benefit of that second level question of okay so why yeah. did you answer it the way you did yeah. you know i think as an industry right we spend so much time looking at retirement income for participants and members and setting them up for retirement. So I do wonder if some of the concern for younger members is more because they aren't necessarily in that retirement-minded mindset, like older mm -hmm. participants are already. So maybe it, it's just so much more jarring to them that that's why they're reacting the way that they are. Purely conjecture, though. Yeah. And I mean, this is, again, for me, purely conjecture, but there's been a lot of conversation, has there, around how COVID has kind of disproportionately affected younger people, right? Because younger people might have been in the office having conversations with more senior people, you know, training on the job a bit more, and they've kind of lost out on all of that. So maybe they just feel like COVID has just been more of a disaster kind of period, and that extends to their attitude towards retirement. But yeah, like I'm purely speculating as well. But it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that's as good a guess as any, right? 
less experience to draw on having something so impactful obviously resonates more with a younger participant base than perhaps those who have lived longer and seen more in their lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, thinking about that, I don't know what the difference is across the board market, but obviously in the UK we have where a lot of people approach retirement will be able to rely on defined benefits as a source of retirement income. So therefore, they have less of their retirement income in totality at the mercy of the stock market. Whereas with DC members, they might not have DB. So therefore, they are more worried about it because that's the only thing they've got. In yeah. terms of the other markets, are there sort of final salary equivalents out there? That's a good question. I do think just globally in general now, we're starting to see more of a reliance on that DC final bucket scheme pensions shying away from the traditional defined benefit and pension schemes. So that that to me is a global phenomenon. Maybe we can make this available to listeners. That's really interesting, some of the content here, if we're allowed to, of course. But you know, looking at the under 45 and the over 45 differences with some of them, some questions, the first one that stands out is I will need to save more than I planned. And it was like about 7% of people thought that was the case. It's just interesting whether that's COVID-related we're actually the penny is dropping that contribution rates full stop just aren't low enough, uh, sorry, aren't high enough to deliver a, what we call in the UK a good member outcome, which is actually a decent saving in retirement. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if we were to dive deeper into how COVID-19 is impacting retirement savers, I shied over the, the four specific statements that we asked, but maybe I'll dive into them a little more now. We asked respondents to agree or disagree with the four statements that one, I will need to save more than I planned. Two, the pandemic has made me more conservative with my retirement savings. Three, I will need to work longer than I planned. And four, I no longer think I'll be able to retire. So the I will need to save more than I planned captured well over half the respondents in all four countries. The this perceived concern was more pronounced in the US and the UK, where it was selected by 65% and 64% of respondents. Generally speaking, I would say the UK was the least confident across all aspects of this survey. Uh, at, the other end, <laughs> at the other end of this spectrum is Canada, where we saw a slightly higher level of confidence across the questions. The I will need to work longer than I planned statement was the second most common response. While the pandemic has made me more conservative, with my retirement savings was next. And then finally, roughly a quarter of respondents across the regions, though, thought that they would not be able to retire at all. This is obviously a troubling response, although these percentages did not increase significantly from the 2021 version of this survey. And really, I think the punchline to us is that it confirms that COVID's had a significant impact on the psyche, if you will, of retirement savers. So again, we are really focused on the surprising results around the age 45, older and younger, but these results really demonstrate that it, it's impacted everybody in some way. That makes sense. I'm interested in your compare contrast between the different countries. Were there any other interesting findings that stood out as perhaps areas where people differed from country to country? Absolutely. I'm going to point to a few more specific statistics that we have from the survey. And maybe I'll start with the punchline to us and is that 
from a global perspective, I would say our takeaway here is that we're more alike than we are different. And member retirement concerns are really universal. So what do I mean by that? I'll point to five key data points. First, when we ask people about their expectation for retirement, most, and I I say most meaning around 50 to 60%, expect to have a gradual transition compared to a hard stop. So when we look at the US, for example, 54% of people said that they expect to have this gradual transition into retirement. If we look across the other countries in Canada, 48% responded the same way, 58% in the UK, and 60% in Australia. So, you know, pretty common theme that there is an expectation to have a gradual transition to retirement. Then second, we ask how important it is to consolidate retirement assets into as few accounts as possible. And an even larger percent percentage across all four countries feel this way. So in Canada, this is the lower end of the responses. 77% of Canadian respondents felt it was important to consolidate their retirement assets. This jumps to 81% in the UK, 82% in the United States, and up to 93% in Australia. So a pretty, again, more alike than different that we expect retirement to be gradual. We want or desire to consolidate our retirement assets into as few accounts as possible. And then we started to ask additional questions around the same time, at least 60% of respondents, so ranging from a low of 62% in the US to a high of 69% in Australia, are not confident that they will retire at their desired age. So they have an age in mind, but they're not sure they're going to get it. When we ask what that desired or expected age of retirement is, it's pretty similar across countries as well. So 64.4 years is the average expected retirement age in Canada. It jumps to 65.4 for the UK and 66 for Australia, 66.8 for the US. And then finally, I would say for as an industry, we talk all the time about longevity risk and what happens to people if they don't have enough money to make their retirement savings last. And in this case, in our survey, we found that it's a smaller percentage of people are concerned about outliving their retirement savings. So these numbers range from about 39% in the US up to 41% in Australian respondents, 40% in both the UK and Canada. So I would say, again, each number here individually tells us something and we can draw and create a storyline for each country. But looking at these aggregated responses and then seeing directionally how similar it is across each country to us is really the real story here that globally these retirement concerns are universal. And we would like to say that we're more alike than we are different. In terms of some of those metrics that you talked about, we take the average expecting retirement age, you know, over the three surveys you've done, has that changed massively or is it just incrementally increased through margin above? I believe the average expected retirement age has actually stayed relatively consistent. And just to pick on the US, for example, there's an anchoring around 65 
as the average retirement age, for example, in the U.S. And maybe we've seen that number creep up a little bit as people think long and hard of like, oh, gosh, maybe I'll have to work a little bit longer and that's not going to work for me. So you do see that number in the U.S. example up to 66.8, but it's not a huge jump to say like, oh, I'm going to have to work till I'm 75 now. It just hasn't jumped in that way yet. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, just wait for the 2026 survey, which (laughs) might suggest that that's where it's definitely the direction of travel, isn't it? Unavoidable, unfortunately. Yeah. Have you seen anything, Jerry, about a more phased approach into retirement? You know, people seeing it as more of a less of like a cliff edge and more of a kind of slow, a gentle hill. Absolutely. And I think that's why we see in some of these responses, again, that view to have a more gradual retirement rather than a hard stop. And so some of that is up to the definition of the respondent and what that may ultimately look for. But if you think about changing jobs to perhaps part-time work, staying on at your current employer, but doing something slightly different. I think that definition is up to the respondent, but absolutely there's definitely a move to call it more gradual transition rather than saying, you know, it's I'm age 65, I am retired, end of story. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) Okay. One quick question. So I think you do it every April. Is that right? So historically, we go out into the field in like mid to late March, early April. And the field is called a few weeks. And then we take a large amount of time going through all of those results. And we tend to publish the survey in like the September timeframe. You're able to sort of give us an insight into whether any new questions have been added this year, I'm thinking specifically about high inflation and whether I think you touched on it in last year's survey, but here in the UK, you know, we hear all these horrible stories about people having to scale back the contributions they're making to BC because they simply can't afford not to because the cost of living crisis we're having over here just means that they have to redirect their cash elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. We're actually working on the questions for the 2023 survey as we speak and finalizing those. And you're exactly right. We're aiming to keep the topics consistent because we do want to be able to compare and contrast against prior years. But there are, or I would say there's room to add and subtract at the margins. And you hit the nail on the head, the idea of inflation and the impact on participant behavior is something that we're going to address in the 2023 survey. And I would say we've, I'm trying to think of other topics we may have added or or we're contemplating adding and subtracting. In the U.S. in particular, I would say there's been some regulatory and legislative developments that make us want to ask some questions about that. In the U.S. in particular, now employers will be allowed to do things around student loans and emergency savings. So we're going to ask about that type of stuff as well. But absolutely, if I'm so fortunate to come back and talk to you again someday in the 2023 version, (laughs) we would have something around inflation and the impact. And we usually expect there to be a question around inflation and the impact of participant behavior and whether that means they think they need to work longer or do anything differently as a result of really market volatility and inflation. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we'll look forward to that in um, well, probably season three of this podcast. <laughs> so then moving on to ESG, I mean, obviously that's been a big part of the conversation in UKDC, and I'm, I'm sure the same is, is true in the US. 
Did you ask participants any ESG-related questions and what were the interesting findings there? We did. So one of the things we hear when we discuss sustainable investing inside a retirement plan is that only millennials care about sustainable investing. Mm. So we've tried to quantify this view and we cut our data around the ESG questions that we asked by generational cohorts. So we've asked if participants were interested in seeing more ESG investments offered in their retirement plan, whether they'd be more likely to contribute at a higher rate if their plan offered these investments and whether they would prefer their plan not take ESG into account. So for each question, we see declining percentages as we move from younger generations to older generations. The data really confirms this notion that younger generations are more sensitive to ESG issues compared to older generations. So you could say that's directionally correct. However, we really think that that fails to acknowledge the magnitude of the sentiment. And this is something that's true across all four countries. So if we look at the question, are you interested in seeing more ESG investments offered in your retirement plan? Across the board, the sentiment ranges from 72% in Canada up to a high of 81% in Australia. And if you bucket it by those age cohorts, so millennials say, for example, 76% in Canada, up to a high of 88% in Australia. So a huge, huge portion of millennials, right? When you look at it for Gen X and boomers, yes, again, directionally, it's a lower percentage, but it's still quite high. So Gen X, the low is 69% in Canada, up to a high of 77% in the US. So you're seeing those percentages drop from high 70s to low 80s to high 60s to high 70s. So not like it is a drop, but not a meaningful drop. And it, I think it understates the impact and the significance that other generations do have that strong demand for ESG. And maybe even more strikingly, the boomers also have a high percentage saying that they're interested in seeing more ESG investments. So that's 62% in the US, up to a high of 71% in Australia, signaled this interest here. And then I would say, so this is, I said it's true across all four countries. We also would note that there's not much of a difference between male and female views on ESG. And really, while participant demographics are an important input into how a sponsor might consider incorporating or not incorporating ESG into their retirement plan. We just would make that caveat that it may not be the case that only millennials care here, that other generational cohorts clearly care too. Yeah, we did some really similar research actually that we repeat every year or no, every other year on attitudes to ESG and particularly ESG and investing. And yeah, we found very similar things just looking at the UK. The differences between different generations are so much less pronounced than is often reported in the media. You know, people do still care however old they are about ESG. Did you ask them anything else around ESG, like how they might want it incorporated into their investments, for example, or anything like that? 
Yeah, the other thing we asked was whether or not they'd be likely to contribute at a higher rate to their plan if the plan offered investment options that consider ESG issues. And a similar story here, I would say it's not applicable to the Australian market, so we didn't ask that particular question in terms of contributions. But across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., we did see a high percentage across the board, so regardless of cohort, say yes, they would contribute at a higher rate. So this range was 64% in the UK, 63% in Canada, and 72% in the US. And then again, we looked at that by generational cohort, and it was strongest across millennials. So even stronger than those overall percentages. Looking at our numbers here, 71% of millennials in Canada, 78% in the UK, and 81% in the US said they would contribute to a higher rate if their plan offered investments that considered ESG options. And again, we do see these numbers fall more meaningfully in the older you get. Gen X, though, still pretty strong at 58%, for example, in the UK. And then the boomers do fall off a bit here, down to a a low of 46% in the UK. So again, while we see their strong demand for ESG investments and would make that case that in older cohorts, there's still a high demand in terms of overall contribution rates in a plan. If it would change your attitude in that way, there we see a difference for younger versus older. Interesting. And what a nice way to phrase it, because so often you get that typical kind of trade-off of like, would you compromise on your investment return to be invested in ESG? And and we often argue that's not really the the point, right? Because if you're invested in ESG, that's good risk management. And over the longer term, you shouldn't be penalized for investing in ESG. That so often that kind of binary question is asked and we're trying to get away from that. So yeah, a nice positive way to ask it and really encouraging to hear that so many more people would in fact up their contribution if it were possible to access ESG options. Really interesting, thanks. I'm just curious, when it comes to the point of retirement, what's the general attitude like towards advice? Because here in the UK, not many people actually take advice, so the notion of actually doing it and having to pay for it in most instances is something that perhaps scares people, but I just wasn't sure whether that's just a UK phenomenon or whether that's something that is actually experienced across the four regions that you served. It's a good question. I do think our emphasis and our focus to date on the role of advice has been more US-centered as we look at our retirement survey results. I would say one of the things we're focused on, though, is how do participants or members receive advice and at that point of retirement? So exactly as you're stating, and the answer is it's all over the board, right? There's no necessary consensus When we look at, and I would say the reason that we ask this type of question too is for the plan sponsor and thinking through, well, how do they want to talk to their participants or their members? You know, what is the ultimate goal for them? Do they want to keep their retirees in their plan or do they want to help them meaningfully move out of the plan? There's no necessarily right answer here. From the survey itself, when we asked participants or members how they receive retirement advice, 
some stats to throw at you here. 10% say they don't receive advice in any way. 11% say it's informal, whether that means from family, a friend or coworker, reading something in the media. 36% turn to a financial advisor or their plan provider. And then really the majority though is the mix of formal and informal advice. So in addition to that 36% turning to a financial advisor, 31% point to their employer as a source of advice or using an online investment service. So I do think there is room for us as an industry to solidify that for members and participants. Perfect. So I know we talked about what surprised us and maybe you'd tried to ask about trends and I didn't quite answer the question appropriately, but I did want to throw in there that if we look at how we've done this survey over the past few years, to me, there are really two key trends that pop out after repeatedly doing the survey. And so to me, the first is what we learn by conducting this survey across the four different countries. That's the one I think we leaned into and we've touched on already. The second key trend that really jumps out at me is how dependent our sentiment questions are on the market environment. And you'd think by asking these questions across four different countries, we'd have lots of ways to compare and contrast. But the real story seems to be tied to the markets and fielding a survey in different market environments. When we first received the 2022 survey results, we noticed a dip in employee confidence, and it became less about how are respondents across countries the same or different? And instead, we started looking into where we've conducted the survey over the last three years with largely the same set of questions. How has the passage of time and what did the market environment look like when those questions were asked? So in 2020, the survey was fielded very early in the COVID crisis. And it was a time where there was significant market downturn and uncertainty. In 2021, the survey was conducted as it looked like we might have been nearing the end of the COVID crisis. You know, turned out to not necessarily be the case, but at the time that was the perceived sentiment and the markets were well into recovery. And then you look at 2022, the survey was done as markets were in a downswing. The Russian invasion of Ukraine was dominating headlines and inflation was starting to reveal itself. So from thinking about the market environment, that to us speaks to why we see participant sentiment about retirement taking a dip in 2022, for example, relative to 2021. That's really interesting. Yeah, the sort of correlation between external factors and people's sense of optimism or pessimism. How fascinating. Mm -hmm. I just one last point remembered a random question. Yes. Back to the topic of ESG. I just wondered whether any respondents, and do you know whether you asked this question, whether they were more focused on any one of those individual E, the S, or the G? Because again, certainly in the UK, it feels like at the moment there's so much interest in the E side of things. The governance has been, been done and it's now almost business as usual. And we're not quite there with the S, but the focus at the moment is on E. I just wondered whether there was any similar trends across the other three VGs that you looked at. It's a good question. I've seen other surveys and data focus on that element. We did not try to get that specific, instead largely grouping the ES and G together rather than focusing on one singular element. Fair enough. Okay, thanks. 
Oh, well, Jerry, it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you think is interesting about the survey or that, that you wanted to touch on? No, I think you covered it all. I'm, I'm looking at all of my notes. And again, it's just a survey we're really excited about. We think there's so many insights to be able to compare and contrast across different countries, compare and contrast over the number of years as we continue to do this survey. And then, of course, there's always room to add questions as market environment calls for it or to be relevant to what's happening in the year. So stay tuned for the next iteration is, as you noted, is going to absolutely have an emphasis on the inflationary environment and perhaps more. Brilliant. Oh, Jerry, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And it's been so interesting hearing all about the different countries and how actually perhaps we all have a bit more in common than we sometimes realize. Thank you. Just to round out this episode, MFS have asked us to include a disclaimer, which is as follows. The views expressed are those of the speaker and are subject to change at any time. These views are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a recommendation to purchase any security or as an offer of securities or investment advice. No forecast can be guaranteed. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. You've been listening to Changing World New Opportunities, brought to you by the DC Investment Forum. Head over to dcif.co.uk, where you can read all the research the DCIF publishes, follow the DCIF on Twitter and LinkedIn, and subscribe to this show on your favourite podcasting platform. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Changing World New Opportunities.